You are what you eat, they say, but how often do we really stop to think about what that means? It means I'm bread. All that and more in this week's episode about magical food. Light from Lantern presents Knit a Spell. I'm magical maker, Katie Rempe. And I'm the maker of magic, James Devine. Join us as we stitch together the symbiotic relationship between crafting and the craft. Bread had a comeback during the pandemic. Everyone's making sourdough. Bread said, I'm back, bitches. Huge rise in bread. (laughs) I mean, bread has been like the most ancient food forever. Though what is wheat or corn, ancient corn, has changed in really dramatic and drastically horrible ways. So that's unfortunate because Mm. today's bread may not be as agreeable to the human body as ancient corn. The population of the world is able to be fed through massive amounts of grain being able to be grown and our ability to feed the population. The corns of wheat that we're talking about was ancient wheat, Mm -hmm. could not possibly support the massive amounts of people that live on the earth today because the population was such so much smaller. So, I mean, I'm very grateful for modern grain because you and I and all everyone listening likely would not be here if it Indeed. wasn't for modern grain. But like with anything that we try to spread thinner, you know, perhaps the quality has not gotten any better. Our evolution hasn't matched. That's right. Yes. Which is why this episode is so cool because... We're going to talk about ways that you can add back in things that have been lost along the way of being processed and all of that sort of thing. I think what for me really sparked this topic of conversation was chapter 10 in Baba Yaga's book of witchcraft, which was written by Madame Pamita, who we just had on last week. That's right. That's the one. That chapter in particular is about enchanted food. And I was really reminded again about how easy it can be to incorporate magical activities into these everyday mundane acts. Yes, I agree. Living a magical lifestyle can happen all the time. You consume all four elements every day. And those four elements are magical. You do this with your food. You drink water, mm-hmm. the element of water. If you start to imagine water as emotion, as empathic ability, if as you're drinking water, you put an, an emotion or a sigil or a, a vibe with it, and that's what you're drinking. You're drinking joy. You're drinking abundance. You're drinking success. You're drinking happiness, or you're drinking you know, rage against the man, (laughs) whatever it is you want to consume, which is healthy. And you're able to then bring that up and, and consume that you're allowed to do that. Then when you heat your food, you're bringing that fire of transformation. And you can Mm -hmm. imagine that into your food as you're refrigerating your food, you can imagine cooling it down and restful sleep that winter time as you're bringing the solid earth into your food, the earth of salt, Yes, You can actually imagine the salt being purifying, but also grounding uh, Mm -hmm. that that earth, the tangibility will be there. And as you 
maybe blow on blow across the hot food, your hot oatmeal in the morning, or as you imagine whipping up your eggs or bringing incorporating the rise into your bread or into anything that you're doing, you can imagine the air and the and the structure and the technique and the logic of creating this food. The recipe that you're using is an air quality. So you're using all four elements in your foods right away. You're bringing magic, this alchemy, into this idea of the food. These are all things that you can start to do with intention in the crafting of your food and make it magical. So you're exactly right, Katie. I think this is an amazing topic on today's episode of the magic of food, the magic that's in food. Mm -hmm. There's a couple movies that have this theme that are really fun. One is called Chocolat. Oh, yes. Have you seen this movie about the chocolate shop where she crafts different chocolates and they create different reactions in Mm -hmm. people? There's the bishop in town who's very like uptight and he tries to resist the chocolate and says it's sinful. Mm -hmm. And of course he ends up found in the front window on Easter Sunday, has eaten all the chocolate and is just overcome with it. There's also another one and it also uses the word chocolate in the title. It's a Mexican movie uh, made in Mexico and it beautifully done with English subtitles and it's called Like Water for Chocolate. That is a movie where um, a woman is again restricted from being able to fall in love and made to serve her mother in a kitchen and to care for her mother. Her anguish in being unable to follow her love is sometimes channeled into the food. And then when people eat the food, they experience her, her love, her passion, or her anguish and sadness. And everyone experiences it. And it's this amazing idea of the magic that is translated into the food. One of the things that she says when people ask her for her recipe in the movie, she says, you just need to make it with love. Her chili rellenos, what's your secret? She just makes it with love. And Mm. people think she's being sarcastic, but she's actually putting love into it. (laughs) Oh my gosh. This like really reminds me of my mom. It's like, sure, I can try to remake her homemade pasta sauce but like it's just different when she makes it because it's her she has all the knowledge she has all the love she concentrates it in there it's that nostalgic kind of um feel we all have a relative that makes a recipe that just doesn't taste the same Mm -hmm. unless that relative is making it and it's funny because I like to make the excuse that it's because my mom or my grandma is making it back home. But when Mm. they come out to visit and they make it, it still tastes like they made it. Oh, it's not just the water, darn. Not the water. (laughs) That just gives us our own opportunity to put our, our own spin on it, right? Right. We could probably make an entire podcast for years right. just on the magic <laughs> of food. My yes. friend Guion Raven has a book published by Llewellyn about the magic of food. I highly recommend that book. He has recipes and different magical components. Certainly you can take any recipe and add herbs, edible herbs, 
I recommend edible herbs, by the yeah. way, not inedible herbs. Take edible herbs and add that to your dish. So if you're going to make chicken dish and you're going to add sage, you can think about what's the magical correspondence with sage. You could take thyme. You could take rosemary. Those have magical correspondences and you could add those typical herbs to your roast chicken and even the chicken itself. And all of those end up creating a magical dish. Mm-hmm. These are the classic sort of idea of what makes something magical. But there's yeah. other things we could do as well. And I think those are things to also think about. It's funny that we're talking about this now because I recently had a discovery through pizza. Frozen pizzas used to be my favorite go-to food. And I had one recently and I thought I got halfway through the first slice and was just like, this is tasteless. And it doesn't even taste really like pizza. It looks like pizza, but it tastes like nothing, like disappointment. <laughs> What's the disconnect here? And I, I asked the food, why are you so disappointing? And the impression I got was that there was just so little vibrational frequency left in the food itself that it was like almost dead. And so I thought, okay, well, how could I change that? And of course, duh, go back to just making it yourself. And so I bought pizza dough from the store and then all of the individual ingredients to make myself very basic. And it really didn't take very much longer than putting a pizza, frozen pizza in the oven. And the taste was pizza. It tasted like the ingredients in it. I took a food ecology course in college and we had an experiment. We had two hot plates in the mm -hmm. room. One person had mac and cheese from scratch, mm -hmm. right? In quotes. I mean, the macaroni. Sure. Was there. And the other person was mac and cheese from the box. And the box was like three minutes or something like that. And surprisingly, mac and cheese, not from the box, takes the same amount of time. It only takes three minutes. And you can use real cheddar, real cream, and it takes the same amount of time to make a cheddar cheese sauce that you put on your boiled macaroni as it does for you to make the box mac and cheese. And it was just right there, plain as day. And all of us were like, we have been bamboozled yeah. by <laughs> the box. I think what's important for us to also talk about, there is no bad food. We're not disparaging You're against what you can afford and what you get, can do. Go get the five pack of ramen. Because honestly, I, I like lived it. off top ramen. It is like sodium heaven. All food is food and it's valid. One of the things a dietitian said to me that blew my mind is there's no such thing as bad food. And we can, one of the most magical things we can do, and this is what I would like to do with frozen pizza in the future and with the blue box of mac and cheese is the intention that we create when eating programs our body on how our body accepts the nutrients of the food. So one of the things is, can I take that frozen pizza and actually make it nutritious for my body or delicious for my body by channeling energy into it, by energizing it magically? 
Hmm. Maybe it won't taste it with my taste buds, but that would be a fun experiment. Can I take the mac and cheese from the box and actually infuse it with magical energy? Now, let me ask you this. Do you feel like that would be kind of like a like a timeline healing of the food ingredients almost sort of a variation on that? Maybe it would like bring some joy back into the food Mm. because it's just food. What did that macaroni do to you? It just is what it is. It's like innocent. So it would be kind of cool to think about like, oh, how do I reorient the field for this food to actually work for me? And so this Mm. dietitian I went to is like, there's no such thing as bad food. Let's Mm -hmm. reprogram this food to work for you. And it was an amazing experience. And what a cool experience for me to really eat intentionally. I no longer felt the need to overeat or to pacify myself every time that I sit and stop. And it sort of is like this idea of praying before food. Like Mm -hmm. it's not really a prayer like I used to do when I was, you know, as a kid, it's more my own, like, I'm going to honor this food. And I'm going to honor the fact that these molecules will sustain me. In the book that Madame Pamita wrote on the enchanted food, she talks about tearing off a crust of bread or a piece of bread. There's this very common myth in fairy tales of having that last crust of bread and putting some salt on it and that it's enchanted. And that really inspired you. It's very much in many fairy tales that a little old lady in the woods is like, please, do you have a crust of bread? And do you have the generosity to give your last crust of bread or share your last crust of bread with the person that you come across in the woods? Mm -hmm. I think of that also sort of related to this idea of that food is, you know, magical and that we can make that food magical and that we can look at that last crust of bread as more magical than it may appear. Right. Yeah. A lot of people think the little leftovers are just like, just throw it out or, you know, I want something new. But like you said, it's got like all of the remaining energy. It's got all the last little bits. So what you just said made me think, okay, so maybe the frozen pizza was dead, but we have the power to resurrect it, right? Wake it back up. Fun. How do we wake it back up? How do we invite it back into life? Is that why I salt everything or is it just because I'm addicted to salt? That well, one of the ways to wake it back up might be Tabasco sauce. Oh, yeah. There you go. Spice <laughs> it up. Actually, that's a good idea. Why don't we take a quick break? And when we come back, we'll talk about more ways to add magic into food. Hey, Nidispel fans. Join our Patreon for just $13 a month to gain access to extended episode comments, episode outtakes, behind the scenes and bonus content, magical making tips, monthly polls to influence future topics and guests, and interact with your fellow patrons. Plus, you'll be supporting one of your favorite podcasts. Join today to gain access to our entire post history. Visit patreon.com forward slash light from lantern to learn more and sign up. Jim and I look forward to seeing you there. Have you ever wanted to be a professional palm reader or add palm reading to your existing practice? Coming this summer, I will be taking applications for my six-month online group apprenticeship program, the Divine Hand Mastership Program. I will have a limited number of individuals that will have the opportunity to study the Divine Hand Method of Palmistry with me. You can sign up to learn more about this exclusive opportunity at thedivinehand.com forward slash mastership. 
And we're back. We're elevating ourselves out of the hole, remember? Okay. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, our Patreon fans will soon realize the things we talk about on our break. Uh, so don't forget to sign up for that. And if you're not, sign up for a newsletter so you can find out more about it. So how do you, Jim, make spells more into your food ritual? <laughs> a lot of people pray over their food. Pretty culturally worldwide. I think that's very similar of doing like a timeline healing or thanking something or putting a spell over a food. What are some examples of what you've done in the past? Yeah, there's lots of traditions from all over the world of honoring food. One of the ones that I'm familiar with, well, as a kid, we would pray before our meal. As a Catholic child, mm -hmm. we had a prayer, bless us, O Lord, for these thy gifts, which are about to receive from thy bounty, the grace of the Lord, amen. So if you know that, people who know that prayer, how quickly I could say it means for decades, I would say that prayer. And it then learning other ways that cultures and people would um, have a ritual before food. So in Japan, mm -hmm. before you eat, you say, itarakimasu. That's it. Yes. Itarakimasu. So before you eat, you say, itarakimasu, which is, there's no real direct translation into English. But it encompasses the sentiment of um, gratitude and honor and recognition for the food and all of the people who contributed to making it possible for you to be able to eat. So it is really about the farmer. It's about the food itself. It's about the farmer. It's about the person that made the food. It's really about everything that made it possible for this food to be there in front of you. And it's this humble sort of gratitude for all of that. So yeah. I think that's a cool tradition. And that isn't really a spell. It's a little bit related to spells and incantations. But mm -hmm. do you have more about spells or magic before before consuming food? So I drink morning coffee every day because it's my life's blood. What I do is I will pour the water from the tap into the water filter, but as it's pouring through the tap, again, this is kind of another thing where I feel like this water has had a journey. It's tired. It needs a little pep up. So as it's pouring through, I'll kind of just be like, thank you for your journey to be here. So I give it a little pep talk and then I put it through the coffee maker, it does its thing. Before I actually drink it, I stir in a little sigil and then drink that. So I will put an intent through like the spoon into the drink and then drink yeah, that. That's awesome. I suppose people could do that with soup or stew as well, or even sure. a pasta. They I could mean, stirring you could, in a sigil. You could like put it on your waffles with uh, the syrup. I think about, like I said, from the movie reference, like water for chocolate, I often think about our feelings there and there is sort of a lot of superstition around how you feel when you're making food mm. does come into the food that you're making right. so putting love into the food is a very common sentiment uh that we think about when our parents or grandparents or relatives make food or when we make food mm -hmm. we make it with love and with appreciation for the person that we're making it for. Certainly when we're making a gift of food, um, I think about making holiday cookies or making a gift of a birthday cake or something for someone, or when we're making a healing soup for someone, we're often thinking about that person and, and attempting to make something for someone that's thoughtful or that's a welcoming uh, you know, tray of brownies for the new neighbor mm -hmm. or something like that. 
there's often this romantic idea that even if we're purchasing, you know, cookies for someone, we're we're wanting to put that energy or that intention into that food. So I think of that and we want the person to eat it thinking of us and have and feeling that love mm-hmm. that they have. You watch the joy, the satisfaction of someone who has made something for someone. Watch the satisfaction when you bite into that food and you have that ecstasy of eating. Watch the person that made it and the, their face. Mm-hmm. They are so thrilled to know that you loved it. I actually am more motivated to make food when it's not just for me, when that's probably pretty common, but yes. I really like, you know, I have a very artistic mind, I guess. And so I find it to be like an artistic palette of food in that same vein. Hosting is very like ritualistic. I really There's like a long standing tradition in many cultures that the blessings come in disguise, that mm-hmm. the deities travel amongst the humans in disguise. Part of that in the ancient Greeks is um, the ancient Greek gods cannot reveal their true selves to humans because if you were to look upon the actual true deity, you would die because you can't can't handle it. Oh, right. Okay. So when Aphrodite in one story reveals her true nature at the at the begging and re- and ongoing pestering of one of her human lovers, she gets so annoyed, she finally relents and shows him her true form. He spontaneously combusts because Ooh. she's so beautiful and she's so divine that our human mm. bodies cannot right. handle the presence of a divine being. Ah, it's the same reason there's a voice of God because you can't handle the voice of God. You explode. You can't, you can't even, as the kids say. Mm-mm. So you got to go through my manager. So the deities will travel in disguise amongst the humans. So the ancient Greeks and the Norse often had this also for other reasons. There's lots of reasons that there was a very strong social norm, social compulsion that you would treat guests with great honor. And this was uh, very strongly enforced by um, the social norms in Greece. And you hear, you read stories about this. In the Norse culture, in the uh, Northern European cultures, there was a big norm about you always welcome in a guest. If someone knocks on your door, you always feed them. And you read this in the fairy tales. This is also how Odin would sometimes travel. Mm -hmm. And if you denied entry of a stranger and it was Odin, wow you know, you would be, you would have a hard time making it through the winter, but that's because human beings who were lost in the woods traveling through would not make it through the winter either if they didn't have the help of each other. So this is a survival thing. So what does this have to do with food? Of course you were fed as part of that. And often you were given the best food. And so you read these stories where they would take food out of the larder. They would take their reserve. They would take from their reserves And you would also read about how some guests would abuse this social norm and outstay their welcome. And and the hosts would devise clever plans to try to get rid of their guests without violating their obligation. Mm, You know, some interesting stories. It's like uh, Bobby Yaga says, I'll invite you in and feed you, 
before I decide if I'm going to eat you or not, <laughs> we'll start off cool. But you know, you decide where this is going to go. But there's lots of other ways. So being a host is a big way. We love to host parties. We love to host people at our home. In ritual, in our own witch events, we will have food and tokens. So we will share cakes and ale as part of the ritual itself to show that we are a community. And so we have a ritual sharing of of food, a bite of food and and of uh, a sip of wine or juice or ale as a symbol of our connection. And we will sometimes offer food to our beloved dead or to the Fae in our fairy garden or to our ancestors or to deity. So there's a lot of different ways to use food magically in ritual, specifically for magic itself. For me, one way that really promotes the food experience is being mindful of even what you put the food on. I I remember reading, you know, my favorite author, Marie Kondo, when she's going through the kitchen area, she says, you know, really look at all the things you have and ask yourself, like, that china that you got when you got married or whatever, why is it packed up? Like, wouldn't you like to use it and experience it? And, you know, do you really find any joy in those plastic promotional cups that you have? I mean, if yes, use them because certainly I have many of them, but you know, it's it, that really, for me, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not using like my coolest things and things I like the most. Cause I'm very, I don't want to ruin them, but that doesn't honor them at all. So that's like been a big mind shift change for me. Our wedding China is our everyday China. I love that. I love and that. And we, uh, you know, every time we break one, I say, this is why we can't have nice things, <laughs> but it's a joke and we laugh. Right. Yeah. Well, and what made me think about this was I was uh, going to get some wine one night and I said, oh, I'm going to use the fancy glass with the stem. And then I thought, why am I not always using this? And also, why couldn't I use this just for like water all the time and feel fancy anytime? So yeah. I love this conversation. It's so much fun. Food is so magical. Food sustains us. Food gives us life. Food is the ultimate amalgamation of the four elements. We need water, but then we need food. So it is incredibly magical and we can bring so much more magic to it. So mm -hmm. I invite all of us to think about the ways in which we can make food even more magical than it inherently is. It's a great place a fodder for incredible incredible magic yes and if you are inspired by this episode and have ideas of your own feel free to write into us at knit a spell podcast at gmail.com or drop us a dm on our instagram knit a spell and of course remember to join our newsletter at knit a spell.com as well i want recipes what's your magical recipe that you have <gasps> yes Ooh. Yes, we want liquids, we want sweets, we want savories, we want yes. the gambit. Well, Jim, this has been a delight as always. And now I'm starving. I don't know about you. Me too. It's time for lunch. Well, everybody, we're going to go and eat. So until next week, Jim, I'll see you then. All right. Take care. Thanks for, Thanks listening. for listening. If you enjoyed the show, consider sharing it with a friend, leaving a review on iTunes and Spotify, or following Knit a Spell on Instagram. 
You can also subscribe to the Light From Lantern YouTube channel to enjoy full episodes of Knit a Spell and see our happy faces. You can also learn more about readings, classes, and events going on with your favorite maker of magic, James Devine, by visiting thedivinehand.com and subscribing to his newsletter. Then follow Jim's fun and interactive Instagram account at divinehandjim. Keep up with Katie, the magical maker, by subscribing to her newsletter at lightfromlantern.com. You'll even receive a free knitting pattern as a thank you gift. Then follow Katie on Instagram at lightfromlantern for even more magical making tips. See you next next week. week.